Welcome to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast with Adam Comero. Not even going to waste any time along with Ray Holloman. Let's get right into part two of the 2018-19 season preview. Enjoy. And we have to think of a name. The name that fits so well is might not be appropriate. When you think about the guys who do the dirty work, they all have a first name starting with a J. Yeah, I, so I was thinking of calling them the Dirty Jays. Unfortunately, that might take on other meaning to some. So we could either call them the Dirty Jays or the Blue Collar Boys. I think the Blue Collar Boys might make more sense because the uh, Duke Blue Devils. <laughs> but I've re- I've re- I don't feel like those are the only two they're options. The only two there. options that have <laughs> ever existed. I think there's some more workshopping the, that don't, can go don't start those. with the lunch pail. It's always a lunch pail. It's always a lunch pail. Um, all right, so so let, let's start with that. Uh, Javin Delorier and Jack White. Javin Delorier, K, Coach K is in love with him. Um, he worked with um, the man who I will just refer to as Justin Robinson's father um, during the summer, uh, Dave Robinson, and really... It's uh, Justin Robinson of Duke, not Justin Robinson of Virginia Tech for those going on. True. Um, and really worked on actually finding out what his skill set is on offense because before he would just basically do the dirty work, grab whatever is there. And now it's about where is he comfortable receiving passes? What kind of moves does he like? So so we might see some development in Javin's game. I was always really begging for him to make a move. I think the mid-range jumper would be a fantastic thing. I always wish for kind of a Lance Thomas sort of uh, skill set from Javin, or or just kind of driving and hitting. He actually did make a couple nice buckets against Kansas in the last game of Duke's season last season. Um, I'm interested <laughs> to see if he can kind of keep progressing off that because he did get injured, not injured, just hurt with uh, I think some sort of foot injury. It's not he's not it's not holding him back. I think he'll be good to go for Kentucky, but it did limit some of his minutes. I remember Kay said he would have started. That's why Bolden got the starts and the exhibitions. But it's just a totally different skill set. It's a matter of maybe Javin will allow them to get up and down faster. Uh, kind of like Marshall Plumley did when Julia Okafor was out for a little bit in 2015, if I'm, if I'm getting that right. But I think in the long run, I would still take Bolden over. But just kind of splitting splitting some time couldn't hurt. And Javin, I just love the effort, the energy. He always comes ready to go. And just he'll do whatever it takes. True team guy. He is a... Uh, He's, he's like a bigger version of David McClure, one of my favorites. Um, just will do whatever it takes. He has added somewhat of a three-pointer. I'm going to need to see more of it to say he has. It's possible. This is based on the sample size of one three-pointer made last Probably. year. <laughs> um, no, no, he, he, did, he did shoot some in the uh, exhibitions. Well, he was one for eight last year, but yeah. No, he yeah. actually did shoot some in the exhibitions, so we'll, we'll see. But... Uh, yeah, I'm just, he's kind of a let's wait and see. Kay loves his leadership. He's he's better at talking now. I don't know. On defense, if he plays five, it could be an adventure. So we'll see. Yeah, so look, I don't disagree with anything he said. And, you know, if his offense comes along, um, that's great. And, you know, he's a pretty good offensive rebounder. And there are things that he does well. And, you know, he's a good energy guy. And, you know, there's, there's a lot to say for him, but the, the problem with all this offensive stuff is I don't care. I, I, I mean, Duke just doesn't really need another offensive threat. They really need that stability in the in the, in the five. So I'm going to give you two numbers. 
that I think is a pretty good example of why I think uh, Bolden needs to start over Delorier and play the majority of the minutes at uh, the five. Uh, the number is Marquise Bolden, 4.3. Javin Delaria, 7.1. Would you like to guess what that context is? It's a really hard one. Not so sure. it's, I'll tell you. So that is fouls called for 40 minutes. So Javin Delaria is committing 7.1 fouls for 40 minutes. This is a problem. So this is the, the challenge with um, Delaria in my mind. Frankly, is and this is not the most analytical thing in the world. The numbers do bear it out. He's just too dang twitchy to be the last line of defense. He plays the game with such a frenetic, you know, energy. But at that last line of defense, you need a guy who's going to stand there and protect against the rim. You know, you pump fake. And remember the first game against Canada, whatever team it was they played uh, first up there. One of his first plays, a guy pump fakes. Delorier jumps out of his shoes. The guy goes right in for a rim, uh, for a bucket. Um, against Virginia Union, the first play he comes in, he gets out of position because he gets faked and the guy scores right over him. So, you know, we saw in last year, you think about that NC State game that Duke loses on the road. Uh, the end of that game, he gets overexcited on a closeout. He jumps up. He fouls Dorn, hitting a three-pointer, becomes a four-point play, and it's game over. Um, so, you know, it's not entirely fair to Deloria, but I think just as a five, I can live with some of that at the four, but at the five where you need that last line of defense, you need somebody who's going to protect the rim – I really worry about a guy who's committing 7.1 fouls for 40 minutes and uh, just, you know, finds himself out of position, you know, so easily. Now, maybe it's something if you give him 30 minutes a game, he calms down. Um, but I think you're already getting that out of Bolton and you can, you know, find minutes for Delorier elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I'm always kind of I agree with everything you said, but. I could also add that some of that was the same stuff I saw out of Lance Thomas early in his due career. And I would say, just on my opinion, he, he did calm down. He got used to the pace more. And I'm not saying that Javon Delorier is going to be a Lance Thomas. Lance Thomas is a rare breed, especially his leadership. But I, I would say we, we, we could wait and see how it goes for now. Um, but I think he does add a lot. I would agree with you overall, though, that uh, – I would like to see more of Marquise Bolden. I think he offers Duke the higher ceiling. And I think we did see a lot of Javin against Kansas, which possibly hurt them. Not possibly. It did. Yeah, and I, I think, well, I think, you know, the thing that hurt him against Kansas, as we talked about, was a sudden decision to go to the 1 3 1 or the half, have him played. It was a really bizarrely coached, um, almost sort of a knee jerk kind of coaching decision to go away against, you know, from, from what it works. So. You know, uh, look, he has his place. Uh, I just think, again, it gets back to the pieces fit better with Bolden at the five. Um, and, uh, you know, I think they need that uh, they need that, that, that skill set from him. But, if he, you know, if he develops into something great, you know, he's a guy that you, you can't help but root for. And, uh, you know, hopefully he'll find he'll find some minutes and maybe he will calm down if he gets more minutes. You know, it's, it's hard when you go in for two, three minutes at a time. You want to make every play possible. Um, you know, and if you know you have a little bit of a leash, then – um, you know, maybe maybe he'll calm down. But, you know, I think Duke just needs that skill set because uh, that, you know, the Bolden brings, um, you know, the only exceptions are going to be these smaller teams where you really can switch one through five um, and it's not going to matter. But, you know, I, I think that just makes it very hard in the in the modern in the modern environment to switch one through five on everything. OK, let's move on to uh, we talked about the Kansas game. I almost wish Kay was asked that. I understand why he wasn't by the type of media members who were there. But they had ACC Media Day, 
and they came out with uh, the media predictions for teams for all ACC player of the year, freshman of the year, and all ACC first and second teams. So let's check that out. Was uh, predicted number one, 52 first place votes. It was 100-something. I mean, Virginia was second with 47. Carolina third with 20. Syracuse got one. Um, then Virginia Tech. Clemson sixth with, with one. Finished out Florida State, NC State, Notre Dame, Miami, Louisville, Boston College, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, and Pitt. How on earth is Georgia Tech 13? They are the worst team. I don't, I don't like They are just awful. And right. as bad as Pitt was, I, I think they are improved. Yeah, I was going to say, have you seen that Pitt roster? I I mean, that was a, yeah, that was a, that, that, that was a terrible team last year. I mean, there's just no, there's no sugarcoating that. There's Jeff Capel has his work cut out. For oh, him you're and, absolutely and, right. I'm not saying they're going to be good. George Tech's going to be a train so, wreck. Uh, All right. Um, so uh, I would say for, for right now, it's a wait and see thing. I would have, uh, I, I, I would say I would have Virginia number one right now. By the end of the season, I'm going to say North Carolina, then Virginia. I would say I would have Duke and Virginia Tech probably tied for third. And uh, that, that's how I started out. I'm not going to go through everything. I have the an ACC podcast that uh, I already did, um, which will be out shortly. But, yeah, I would say that would be my top tier. For the player of the year, not surprising, Luke May, the great Luke, been in college for 17 years. Freshman of the year, who they pick? I think Barrett. Sorry, I thought you were going to say something. Um, yeah, they picked Bar- Bar- Barrett, Zion, and Cam Reddish got pretty much all of the first place votes. Then it's interesting because they had Jalen Horde, Kobe White, Jalen Carey, Nate Lazuski, and Jairus Hamilton. And Nazir Little is one of the best players in the conference. He got votes for ACC Player of the Year, and yet he got zero votes for, for Freshman of the Year. I think Roy uh, Roy probably told them not to vote for him just to motivate Nazir Little because Roy loves the little motivational tactics. I have no idea. But, I mean, it's always interesting how votes are made. Um, but uh, first team, Luke May, Tyus Battle, R.J. Barrett, uh, Kyle Guy, and Kai Bowman. Second team, Zion, DeAndre Hunter, Justin Robinson, Ty Jerome, and Marquise Reed. Any thoughts? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it seems like a fairly respectable, you know, going into the season kind of thing. We all have this essential, you know, group think that's based on exactly what happened last year and then the flashy freshman that we're looking at this year. So, you know, it seems, uh, you know, there's nothing in there that jumps out. You know, I think Justin Robinson. Yeah, I put him over. Guy. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, you know, he could even be an ACC player of the year candidate, um, you know, for me in the way that, you know, we've seen that before uh, out of these, uh, you know, uh, Eric Green and, you know, Players, and you have a much better team around him uh, this year than uh, than in 2013. Uh, so you hear something bold. Uh, I, I would I would take. Um, I'm still not quite sure. It's either TJ or Temple. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say TJ. Uh, TJ Gibbs of Notre Dame. I, I'm I'm gonna vault him over wherever he is, nowhere, uh, and put him on the first team over Ty's battle. Yeah, I think well, you know, Gibbs I, is going to get so many buckets. Like he he well, is going to be a beast. So we'll see. I mean, you know, it it'll all change, and you know, the best player on the best team. I mean, I'm not convinced that Nasir Little is not going to be the best player on North Carolina, and he becomes a first team player maybe over Luke May. Um, but you know, if that team finishes atop the ACC, which I think 
you know, when we're looking at it right now, you say, you know, Duke has a ceiling. Um, Carolina has the easier uh, system to introduce players into, so they're more likely to, you know, I think maximize uh, the talent in the regular season uh, in terms of record. And then, of course, Virginia is always there, so how do you ever go against Virginia? And Kyle Guy will probably be the most statsy guy there, so he's the guy who's going to get the votes, even though he may not be their, you know, their best player. It's sort of like the Devin Hall thing from last year. So, um you know, we'll see. But, you know, nothing in there looks looks too crazy with the preseason all-ACC team and the standings. You know, there's nothing wildly out of place. You know, the fact that Nasir Little is not getting consideration for, um, you know, freshman of the year is uh, is uh, is a little uh, a little nuts as I scroll down and look at exactly who is in there. You know, especially, like, I have no idea how you, you take Kobe White, his teammate, over him. But, um you know, because we we've seen him play in these high profile events, and he's a, he's a tremendous uh, he's a tremendous talent. So, um, you know, that's a little a little surprising, but um, you know, these things just aren't preseason ACC basketball. You know, at Operation Basketball, it's just 121 people that showed up. You know, there is no uh, test uh, that you have to go through to vote in these things. You just show up. So, you know, you take it for what it's what that's worth. All right, moving on. Next in the two at a time player previews, actually, you know what? We're just gonna finish up the Dirty Jays and the Blue Collar Boys because those skip Jack White, right? Oh wait, yeah, you're oops, oops. You offended oops. an entire continent. I know Kyrie Irving is gonna be so upset. Jack White, I'm bigger on him than most. I think he, I'm not even really worried unless he doesn't play at all. How much he plays in the non-conference games? Because I think once the ACC season hits and teams start zoning Duke or at least slowing them down and forcing them to run set offense, I think Jack White can play a very, very legit role and be a stretch four. Because otherwise, you're putting Reddish at the four, and I'm not sure he's physical enough for there. And then, do you really want to move Barrett over to four? And it's it's just odd fits. So I think Jack White could actually, if Duke's going to play a death lineup like the Golden State Warriors where everyone can shoot, I think he could be the guy. I think he's going – I think Coach K trusts him. I think his defense is underrated. He he can – he has a very slow shot, but who cares? I mean, the other guys – he's going to be so open when he shoots. I don't think that's – really meaningful how fast his shot is or how fast he releases the ball. I think Jack White is, could be an under-the-radar, really good, great player for Duke this year. Yeah, I mean, I think great maybe he's a little far, but I, I think he'd be an impactful yeah, yeah, player for Duke. And actually, I, I go to it from the defensive angle, um, you know, because first of all, the guy's tough as nails, man. He just goes in there and he gets after it. Um, you know, he's a very effective uh, rebounder, and, uh, you know, I'm saying this, and I should pull up his stats before I get ahead of it, but, you know, we saw him play against Carolina last year. It was always a great offensive rebounding team, and he went in there and he held his own. Um, he actually moves his feet pretty well in defense. You know, we've seen that. I thought he looked better in the exhibition games, and, again, all the caveats about level of competition, but I thought, you know, defensively moving his feet, being able to switch on the guards, um, he actually did a pretty pretty good job there. Um, so I think he's going to get minutes because of the, his ability to uh, to contribute defensively. You know, we will see about a shot. You know, it's not just slow. It's also kind of out in front of him. It's just it's kind of a hard shot to get off in traffic. It's exactly the kind of thing, you know, he has all the legends about how many, you know, shots he hit in, in, in the offseason. It's exactly the kind of thing. If you're wide open, it's the Matt Jones things. Your mechanics, if they're repeatable, you can hit shot after shot after shot no matter what it looks like. But it does get a little bit more challenging to get off in the game. But I think they absolutely are going to get minutes for him, you know, just based, again, um, 
you know, off of his defense. So yeah, looking at his, uh, his metrics from last year, and again, very small sample size, the defensive rebounding rate 20.5, which is excellent. You know, that's right up there with Marvin Bagley. Now granted way fewer minutes. So, you know, not comparable at all. His offensive numbers aren't quite as good, but you know, 7.3, it's not, not gonna, not gonna kill you, but I think, you know, defensively, he's gonna, he's absolutely gonna have a role in this team. Just two for 12 from three point range last year. Um, well, seven for 10 inside the mark and in, inside the arc and, he, he uh, and he hit both his free throws. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So, you know, he had, he had some moments late in the season where you thought, Hey, it's actually, maybe there's actually something here. So yeah, I think he'll, uh, he'll, he'll get minutes for Duke. And I think it's going to be his defense. that does it. All right. Uh, so, uh, let's move on now to the last three J's Jordan Goldwater, Joey Baker, and Justin Robinson. Jordan Goldwire, I feel like if he's given an opportunity, I don't know if Kate didn't play him much in the preseason because he knows what he has with Goldwire. I thought he looked more confident. I think he extends the defense. He can get beat. He's not the most athletic guy in the world. But I think what, what he provides just in terms of intensity and energy and that extended defense that I look forward to, and I think he can hit the occasional open three. He will run the offense confidently. I, I think he could provide a role and could have a big moment for Duke this season. We'll see. I was kind of surprised when he didn't crack at all into the uh, rotation, but I, I wouldn't uh, overlook him yet. Joey Baker, while he did show ability to hit from outside and he's he has a smooth game, I think the strength still has he has, still has a lot to work on. So competing against these big guys in practice and strengthening up and just getting used to the college life. I think this will really help him for next year. If he decides to redshirt, even if he doesn't just getting the minutes, he when he can, and just, again, just the practice and being in the system and knowing what's there. And they only have Duke only has one recruit for next year so far. So if they don't get many, I mean, he has, he will have the experience. He can help guys next year. So we'll see it. And if he was bigger, he could be a stretch, but I think he might not – I don't predict him seeing many minutes this year, but I think it'll still be a great experience. Justin Robinson, I would say um, he – you know what you're going to get from him? He can hit the outside shot. I think he actually hit – he went three for three um, from, from deep against uh, Fair State. But I, I think, again, it's the fit. I'm not sure how well that is once you get against top-tier competition. He played like 20 minutes against – Hit early in the ACC, but his minutes kind of declined after as they got against them, as they went against the more physical teams. Um, so, yeah, though that that's I, I don't see him getting consistent duty, uh, consistent minutes in in the uh, rotation. Then we'll finish off with Mike Buckmeyer. He's trash, and I'll just rip him because I because I enjoy it. But uh, I love Mike Buckmeyer. He is he's the love of my life. <laughs> You're gonna trash him. You may as well call him Mike Suckmeyer. Am I Tire right? Fire. Just sitting Tire right there. Sitting right there for you. Um, yeah, look, Goldwire, in case of emergency, break glass. He's perfectly competent point guard. It's nice to have that in reserve. You know, moves his feet well on defense. Um, you know, I think he's, uh, you know, I think you do know what you have out of him. Um, but I would like to see him uh, play some backup minutes because I don't I don't like uh, constantly tinkering with who's at the point. I want, you know, R.J. Barrett and Reddish and these guys to focus on what it is that, you know, is, is going to make them, uh, you know, great players. Um, as opposed to filling in at the point, which they're capable of doing, but why have to do it? Joy Baker, you know, I think he should redshirt because you think about what skill set do you need? You need that outside shooting. Well, you get that from Alex O'Connell. You're already trying to figure out how to get O'Connell minutes. So how do you figure out how to get O'Connell minutes and get Baker minutes? And, 
you know, to your point, he doesn't look exactly like he does a Division One ready body. Um, Justin Robinson, I think it's great to have players like that who push you from behind. Um, you know, Duke has had that from time to time. You know, the 2001 uh, national championship team, um, you know, one of the captains on that team was J.D. Simpson. I know there's some mixed thoughts about J.D. out there. And, of course, I went to went to school with him and had uh, had, had – uh, uh, knew him, knew him on campus. Um, you know, and uh, but but having guys that'll just push you from behind. You know, those 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 guys that'll do whatever it takes, and you know, just provide that um, that drive, even though they're you know um, you know essentially walk on kind of player, um, really provide some value. And that's what Justin Robinson did last year. He just set an example. He went out there and he worked. And he hit a couple big threes, and you know, just a great moment to see a guy who came in and put the work in and. You know, I think the team responded to that last year, and I think they'll respond to it again this year. So, you know, but in terms of having an actual impact, I, you know, some spot minutes here and there, but uh, I doubt you'll see them in the regular rotation. So, you know, uh, I think Duke this year, you're looking at, um, you know, your starting five and then some pretty good minutes for O'Connell. Um, you know, I think you'll see um, Jack White get some minutes in there. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. We haven't talked about Antonio Vrankovic. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if, if he gets a few minutes, um, here or there, cause he's, you know, shown to be a competent space eater. Um, and there's certain instances you just need a guy who can, who can, who can right, do that right. for you. Shame so. on me. He's he's Duke's only senior. So yeah. <laughs> All right. So Oops. there's your leadership. So, um, you know, so I think you'll probably see, you know, it's not that dissimilar from most Mike FC teams where you'll have a seven, eight man, you know, um, rotation with a couple of well, other. I do have rank in the next topic. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, so let's, uh, let, put him below. Bar. <laughs> um, as, uh, let's kind of roll through these last bunch of, uh, topics. Let's go a little quicker. Um, why do freshmen generally have a tough time with team defense? Pretty simple. They don't really teach it much. Um, at least in the majority of teams in high school and AAU, or they don't prioritize it. And then just basic communication. They're not used to talking offense. You can just get buckets. If you're if you're talented enough, you have to actually work as a team. You have to work as a unit. As Coach K says, five, five fingers make a fist, something like that. Um, and, yeah, it's it's a learning experience, so it takes time. That's pretty much what I uh, – yeah, Duke's, Duke's defense requires you to be engaged at all times because they switch so many screens. Um, they switch, you know, on everything. So it's just the kind of defense where not only you have to be good man, you have to be good man against very good – competition as you're playing in the ACC where you have to be engaged off the ball constantly. That's a totally different mindset. You know, you can't just have that closing speed, you know, where you catch up to a man. So um, it's a really hard, uh, it's a really hard defense to pick up, particularly when you don't necessarily have that anchor in the back line uh, that's calling everything out for you. You know, like that 2010 team was so great at communicating with Singler and, you know, Lance Thomas and Zubek. Those guys were barking all the time. You sat court size and it was just this barrage of noise. Um, so yeah, that's why it's difficult. You have to be engaged all the time. It's not just about man defense. It's about help defense and it's about help defense all over the court. You can't take your eye, uh, off the play, you know, ball, you man, ball, you man, ball, you man. So very difficult, um, very difficult to play. Um, and it is more difficult at Duke than, than other places. Okay. Crunch time. No more than 20 seconds to answer each question. What are the chances percentage Jack White at the four in a Duke death lineup? Uh, at some point, I would say pretty pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say you know, dang near a hundred percent at some point. Jordan Goldwire, become, oh, okay, I have to answer too. Uh, Jack, what? Well, yeah, I, I was. I mean, that's it was my idea. So yeah, g- give me it. Um, Jordan Goldwire becomes a leader. 
uh, hard to define because what exactly does a leader mean? I don't think he has enough minutes on the court to become like a leader on the court, even in like a Tyler Thornton way. So I would, I would say in a, in a meaningful way, you're talking about 10% or something like that. But I, I, you know, it's one of these things just don't have privy to the locker room. So, um, we'll, we'll have to say potential hundred percent actual, I'm going to go zero. Uh, Duke, Duke fall uh, this year. Duke falls out of the top 25 at some point. Um, I don't think that's particularly likely, but you know, you run into a couple of losses early in the year and that sort of thing could happen. So I don't know, 15%, you know, without having looked at it, cause Duke could very well lose to Kentucky. You could go out to Maui, uh, Auburn, you have Gonzaga, you know, have a very tough bracket out there. So you could very easily, you know, see a way in which you've racked up three losses, you know, by Thanksgiving. Um, and that starts putting a little pressure, uh, on your ranking. So I think it's low, but it's not zero, you know, 15%. Yeah, but I mean, I would say, and then they always have tough. Uh, it's a tough. It's they always have a tough time adjusting at the beginning of the ACC schedule. Um, but I would agree, they're gonna probably fall to maybe the, the low teens, tw- high twenties, but not out of the top twenty-five. Duke fans, not all. You know the ones. Turn on Cam Reddish, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, I mean, ninety-nine point nine. You know. Uh... Unless he hits every shot he takes, then that's absolutely happening. Questions about roles in terms of fits. People are wondering, are guys being used in the right way? 100%. 100%. I mean, if you mean fans, wondering about it, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because every single one of the freshmen after last season seemed to question it as well, although everyone only concentrated on one. All right, so um, me and you calling Trey Jones, Tyus Jones, 120%. It's already happened, so uh, yeah, fait accompli. Vrank seeing legit uh, PTC. I did remember Vrank. It's just a, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm 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 uh, going with. I mean, legit. I'll go. I'll go with uh, at least in one game, twenty percent. In one game, sure. Georgia I think he'll, I think he'll have to <laughs> he'll have to play. Yeah, uh, right. And so you know he can. Uh, he can he can carry on the legend of uh, Luke Schenzer, right, uh, or something like that, right? And then great goofy uh, Georgia Tech center. So you know I think he'll work his way into some minutes because Duke just doesn't have a lot of like uh, you know legit fives. Like there's Bolden, and then you know he's really the backup to that. So you're playing North Carolina or somebody like that. Um, that's you, you really need some size in the interior. Then I think uh, I think he'll play. And uh, you know and he did play his first major game was against Georgia Tech. You know and Capel put him in the lineup back in his freshman year and it, it was like holy heck you know jeff you know what you're gonna get you You know what you're gonna get all right so uh quick with the schedule obviously we don't know as much as we think we know or at least as some of us think we know at this point it's just learning about teams as it goes so so right now just kind of going through duke has a really really tough schedule especially early on i mean norlander put out his uh i think 15, 16 teams that could win the title and taking away Duke 15. They, they play um, potentially Gonzaga, definitely Kentucky, uh, potentially Auburn and definitely Indiana just in the non-conference season. And then mm-hmm. UNC twice this season, they play Virginia twice. Uh, Norland actually has a uh, Syracuse um, as potentially they, they, they're tier three out of his four tiers that could win, but they play Syracuse twice. I mean, it's just, it's ACC. I mean, there's talk that they get 10 in. I don't think they will get double digits in. I have too many questions about uh, Miami. And I don't even I mean, Florida State. I mean, they're too talented not to get in, I guess. But I don't believe in them like some. But in uh, Louisville, eh. 
Um, but, uh, I mean, Duke has, has a buzzsaw, and especially with the questions uh, in the front court, Kentucky, they, that's some grown men right there. No matter what their ages are, I mean, with Reed Travis, he's like 75 years old. But, um, but the other guys, even if they aren't, well, I think Washington is, uh, he's a sophomore. And I think Ray, yeah. hey, Richards is a sophomore too. I mean, those are those are guys that they have some bulk. So that's going to be a rough matchup for Duke. We'll see how that goes. Auburn, they have Wiley, the big man inside. Auburn, I mean, if this was last year and Duke's team was this year, the over-under for that game for points might be a million because they were just running up and down crazy last year. And that's what Bruce Pearl loves to do. Now they have Wiley, who they can play through a little. So that'll be interesting. Gonzaga with Killian Tillian. Gonzaga's loaded all over the place. Even San Diego State with Jalen McDaniels. I mean, they're playing some talented teams. And Indiana, I think they might be going a little bit under the radar just in terms of how good they can be. I mean, I think they could have the potential to be a top 15 team. So it's a tough schedule for Duke. And uh, they could they could hit some speed bumps. So and that's before the ACC even even starts. Yeah, you know, in Indiana you have the old Archie Miller rivalry coming back to coming back to Cameron, of course. You know, played at NC State. So um, yeah, I mean, it's a tough early slate. You know that uh, you know the the one thing is Duke for whatever reason has always played well uh, out in Maui. Um, you know, maybe the back in my day when they get out there it could be the Tyler Thornton great. Well, I would go back even further. The great return to glory moment for Duke. You know, we talked about teams that are kind of similar to this. One team that you could throw out there being similar to this team is the 1997 team. That was the team that's always regarded as one of Mike Jeffsy's great coaching jobs. Didn't have the talent of this team, you know, relative to the era, the high-end talent. But you had a lot of guys that you could sort of interchange. You had one center, Greg Newton. He kind of fell off. He had some issues. Um, he eventually gets benched by Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, Chris Carwell winds up playing some center, you know, six foot six. Chris Carwell, um, plays center against Tim Duncan, a senior Tim Duncan, soon to be number one pick in the NBA draft, soon to be one of the 50 greatest NBA players of all time. Tim Duncan, Chris Carwell plays against him. Duke finishes 12 and four ties for the ACC regular season that year with a bunch of wings and Steve Wojciechowski, you know, and now granted you had Trajan Langdon on that team, but that 97 team is sort of Duke getting back to glory. They beat North Carolina for the first time in seven games on a Trajan Langdon three pointer. But then in 98, when it flips one of Duke's really great underappreciated teams, uh, they go out to Maui. And the moment that, you know, Duke is back, is when they beat Arizona, the reigning national champions, out in Maui. Will Avery has this monster dunk on a breakaway. It was just, it was a cathartic moment for Duke, you know, coming out of the the disaster that was 95 with Pete Gaudette, 96 being an 8-18 eight and 18 with Tony Moore and, you know, Stanley Brunson and, you know, all the other, you know, guys that you forgot about, Taman Domzalski, uh, went 8-8, eight and eight, lost to Eastern Michigan in the first round of the NCAA tournament. You know, 97, you sort of get back to it. You're 12-4 and four ACC champs, but you go out and, yeah, pretty sure they lost in the opening round of the ACC tournament to NC State uh, back then. Uh, and then they lost to uh, – they almost lost to Murray State in the tournament. And they, of course, wind up losing to Providence, God, Sham God, uh, that team. Um, and then 98 going out to Maui. So that's a very long-winded way of saying Duke plays great out in Maui. So maybe they got that going for them. Maybe there's a little uh, – little aloha magic uh with this team but yeah that is a really tough schedule you know and for a young team that's going to be figuring out the pace of play 
um, and having to do it on a big stage against a very good team, um, you know, with, with guys, you know, you say like Reed Travis and, and uh, PJ Washington who have been around the block uh, before. So yeah, and if they, if they somehow the, the bracket somehow ends up with them playing Arizona, Hey, those little uh, meet and greet with uh, chase Jeter, the old guy. So that would be interesting. Yeah. I, I, I will say it, it would have been nice, obviously with, I think they started the season earlier, so impossible. I mean, the, the Champions Classic is now, I think, the official start date of college basketball. But it was nice before the Champions Classic, before they played Michigan State last year, they got two uh, regular season games and against teams that were better than who they played in the exhibition games. And now it's just straight to Kentucky. That's That's tough. It would have been nice to have uh, another real game or two. And whatever they had in Canada, I mean, that was months ago. They didn't have a couple players. So it would have been nice to have a little more um, preparation. All right, so uh, the next crunch time, uh, another one where we're no more than 20 seconds to answer. Most important Duke player. Uh, boy, we 20 seconds trying to think of the answer. Man, there's so many, there's so many options in there. Well, I mean, obviously, yes, okay. I, I assumed you were excluding him because you know it's way too obvious. So, uh, look, I mean, you need a you need a great player. You need great players to be great. I mean, I think you're overthinking it if you go anywhere other you know other than R.J. Barrett. You know, in terms of people having to fill their roles, they need Marquise Bolden to step up. They need Tyus uh, Trey Jones to run this team so the pieces all fit together. But you need a superstar to carry the way. <laughs> Okay, um, R.J. Baird in my, in my mind, no doubt. It's Canadian seconds. They're longer. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, Duke's yeah. X Factor. I'm going. I mean, I've already said Cam Reddish. Uh, Marquise Bolton. Coach K should have spoken more about NCAA issues. And I, I will say, do fans care? Does a sign? Does a, do they care about the Zion situation? Does it really matter to the average fan? Uh, why speak about something when you don't have to? I mean, uh, is his job to be the, you know, the great champion of the thing? You know, or, or are you setting yourself up to say something that you're going to have to contradict later? So, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with, with, uh, with not saying too much about it right now. It would have been nice for me to hear him say more, but it's not about an expectation, um, for him to say more. I don't think he should have said it was a blip in the radar. Okay, uh, Duke should be playing at West Point on Veterans Day against Army instead of hosting Army. Uh, difficult to say. They could yes, do you're wrong. In- you're wrong. You're, you haven't answered and you're wrong. Uh, Coach K, he played at West Point. He knows. Like, what are they doing? Yeah, he played at West Point. He's served. He coached you down here. Ask the, them to the come to Duke on Veterans Day. Here. But who knows what, you know, the, the, you know, the one thing you cannot accuse Mike Krzyzewski of is not doing enough for uh, Army and doing enough for West Point. So, you know, I assume there's I assume there's a perfectly good reason for it. I mean, it gives him a lot of visibility to come to Cameron and things like that, too. So, um, you know, uh, and he's played Army many, many, many times, uh, you know, over his over his career. Um, so. Uh, I would imagine that Duke is probably one of their more frequent opponents. Um, and the only reason it's a frequent opponent is, of course, the connection that uh, that Krzyzewski has to the academy. When Duke loses in the NCAA tournament, it's typically because of blank. Inability to defend. I mean, that's that's what happens. You know, when you look at those numbers, uh, it's just breakdowns on the defensive end. You know, you look at those numbers, those are all very high numbers. And I went back looking through even the tournament runs, successful ones, to see what was the highest. 
the highest the team had against him in 2010 or 2015 was a 113 that Baylor put up in the Elite Eight, but the Duke offense was just good enough that it, it was able to get by. So, yeah, I mean, when does Duke lose in the NCAA tournament? Because they can't defend. Yeah, the defense goes to crap in the second half. I mean, if you look, they, they basically never allow – um, over 40 in the first half, then the opponents always score over 40 in the second half. Look at look at damn near every Duke loss in the NCAA tournament. It's the same thing. It's really odd. Okay, um, Duke should schedule non-conference road games. Uh, Duke has non-conference road games. So, you are correct. Uh, you found well, it out probably because I wrote it um, down. It read in front I mean, of me. But, but it's the thing. It's the thing is, you know, you have the um, – you play these tournaments and then I never understood this argument, right? Because first of all, Duke has been very successful. So if you said, you know, 30 years ago, uh, you know, 30, what, uh, seven years ago when he hired Mike Krzyzewski, uh, you're going to have five national championships. Um, then whatever it is you're doing to do it, you know, certainly seems to work. Like who else has five national championships at that time? So Duke gets a lot of criticism about that, but it's about preparing your team for, uh, you know, the NCAA tournament. It's not about saying, oh, this would be a great made-for-TV event and preparing your team for the NCAA tournament. There's nothing wrong with playing with neutral thrones. And the other thing I will say to that is Duke plays in the ACC. You go into uh, hostile arenas with the bullseye on your back and half of your games from January until the end of March. Uh, so I don't understand what would be different about going to East Lansing versus going into Chapel Hill versus going into even a place like, you know, Little John is a very difficult place. You to would be play. fired from PTI. These Canadian seconds are lasting a while. <laughs> uh, I have uh, long, well thought out opinions. Sir. <laughs> All right. Um, conference games next November. What is the ACC doing? Hate it. Makes no okay. sense. Hate it. I hate conference games before the new year, let alone at the beginning of, you know, a conference should start January 2. That's when it should start. If you want to make an event of it, just jam something else on the New Year's Day. You already have hockey and you have bowl games, so just jam another thing there or make January 2nd your day. But, yeah, I don't see the value of it. Um, you're not going to put your marquee matchups there anyway. Um, it just seems like you're uh, – instead of keeping your – your product consolidated to where some people are actually going to pay attention. The thing about college basketball is the mainstream sports fan does not pay attention until after the Super Bowl. So you need to keep as much of that product after the Super Bowl as possible. You're not going to get people to tune in in November to see, you know, Duke versus NC State, you know, particularly when you have the Champions Classics and things like that already. So, yeah, no idea what uh, what the ACC sees in that. If Bull Bull has a great game for Oregon – on the Super Bowl, is that a? Never mind. Okay. Uh, quick, quick thoughts on Wendell Moore. Have you seen Wendell Moore? I saw him commit. Uh, I am aware of him as a human being, but no, I have not really uh, watched him play. I, I, I haven't seen much. What I have seen is he is a guy who can play that extended on-ball pressure in the half court. That is rare for Duke. All right. Uh, Another, another round of crunch time, starting fives, common Duke narratives, uh, short answers. Duke goes as the point guard goes, slash Duke needs a Troy point guard. Duke needs a point guard that Mike Krzyzewski trusts. That is absolutely true. None of the stats support anything that people say, whether it be assist percentage, whether it be turnover percentage, whether it be just anything. Nothing supports his random whatever it is. That, that, that people use. What even is a true point guard anymore? Nobody can even explain that. Look at when Dukes won the championship. Besides Hurley two years in a row, 
it's never been even close to the same type of point guard. So, and you can't say that Duke hasn't had a good point guard every time that they haven't won. So it's just, it's just a ridiculous type of thing. It's just whenever a stat doesn't line up, like assist percentage, even though assist percentage is typically always low for Duke. If you look at the Ken Palm era, it's horrific. Even when Duke was as best, it's like 200s every year. I mean, they're not... They, they, it, okay, I, I was over 20 seconds there. All right, the Duke hangover. By what you mean? True or not? When, 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 you know when teams... If, if, if a team beats Duke, then kind of falls apart the next game, that's when everyone says the Duke hangover. Does it exist? Uh, I was, it's probably confirmation bias mostly, but there is something to be said for, you know, the, the, the intensity of playing a game like that. If you are, you know, playing Duke, that's a top 10 matchup and there's something to be said for that taken out of you. But I would say it's mostly confirmation bias that people just expect it to Now there've been, there've been many stati- statistical, I don't want to say study because that makes it seem way more in depth, but, uh, they, they, it's been gone over statistically and it doesn't exist. All right. Uh, single game plus minuses or other re- interesting stats like i remember uh bagley missed um a couple games last year and oh my god the chronicle was like duke averages more points with uh, without bagley and gives up less or is duke better without bagley and it just blew my mind it definitely did that with okafor okafor theory was stupid ewing theory is stupid ewing theory also states that georgetown was better without ewing on the floor which is ridiculous considering he's the greatest player that ever played there and won him a national title um, so Ewing theory is stupid, and uh, Okafor theory is just as stupid. Plus minus is a terrible statistic. I completely it. agree that Duke was always better with Daniel Ewing on the court. All right, uh, never question K. Well, everyone deserves to be questioned. Absolutely, I, and I guarantee um, that he would say, as someone who is a leader who's been in the armed forces um, or in that environment, he he needs to be, he holds himself accountable and other people should hold him accountable as well. Everyone works together. Nobody should be above um, the what you would expect out of your fellow man. And it's just stupid how everyone's. I mean, if somebody's just ripping him, yeah, it's one thing. But it, but if you're reasonable in how you go about it, absolutely, everyone can be questioned. All right, K short rotation. K doesn't use his bench enough. Uh, mostly false. I don't think bench matters that much. I think it's way overrated uh, that these guys wear down. We saw that in 2010. You know, the championship game in 2010, you had five players score every point. They played, what, six guys in that game, maybe seven. So uh, I think it's about having your best players on the floor. I think there's times I would agree. I think there there's where I can cop out with little nuance. There's times when it would be nice. I mean, when you look at whenever Duke loses in the tournament, they fade in the second half. And I think experience does matter. With 2010, they were all guys who had just been through everything. They played a lot of minutes every year. I mean, 2000 was the ultimate year when Duke lost to Florida and Jason Williams barely could stand up. They had no bench. But, yeah, I mean, there's outliers to each. So that, I think that's nuanced. All right. I mean, what was the freshman in 2002? You know, that was the young team that had a lot of – Turnover coming off that 99 team where Duke had lost Elton Brand mm-hmm. to early entry. Duke had lost, um, you know, Will Avery to early entry, uh, Corey Maggette. Um, So, 
you know, a little bit of a of a different thing. And it was still, remember, that was a man's game. 2000 was still a man's game. It was still juniors and seniors playing the game. So G- a little bit different. And uh, you had to take on the great Teddy Dupay. So who was going to? The G-Man, G-Man, Mike Jaminski's game. All right, uh, but the bonus, I won't even, you don't even need to answer this. This was kind of just me being annoyed. Uh, body language experts who say no, who rip kids no heart, plays for himself, doesn't, not he, he's not he's not a Duke guy, doesn't deserve a Duke jersey. That that person sucks. All right, so uh, that person Dan Dakich is this what we're talking? Is this Dakich, Dan Dakich thing? Dakich. Um, speaking of Dakich, all right, the last starting five will do. This, this is the uh, climactic finish here. The next Duke coach. So, Kate, is it going to be Capel? Is it going to be Shire? Is it going to be James Wojo Collins Dawkins Amaker Reddick, uh, Brad Stevens, Mike White, Ray Holman, Adam Comro, Dan Dakich, Bill Walton, Trump. God, the devil, Coach K reincarnated. Who do, who do you think? Um, you know, if put money on it, you know, uh, I think Jeff Capel maybe comes back again because, you know, Colin. So um, they've all gone around. So um, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, Capel finds his way back to Durham. Yeah, I mean, it's always living the moment who's doing well at the time. Um I would say if it, if it's going like if it's going to be a dookie and it had to say one person, I would actually go uh, different than most. I would say Nolan Smith. I think Nolan is uh, the president of Duke, unofficial president of Duke, and he is just everyone loves him. And how could you not? But who knows? All right, so let's finish up season prediction. Any any possible thoughts on either just how Duke will end up? How, where they will stand in the ACC, where they will, uh, how they will finish in the NCAA tournament, because none of that is irrational. <laughs> yes. Um, it's never too early to be completely wrong about something. So, uh, look, I think. Uh, you They're going to miss the tournament, right? Some, some growing fans about that. I don't think so. You know, that's one of the underrated streaks of Mike Krzyzewski's. You know, he didn't finish the 95 season. That team was. Uh, you know, not so terrible when he was coaching. That's a team really had a lot of bad luck that year, too. They lost every game at the buzzer. They lost him in overtime. But anyway, so every other year since Mike Krzyzewski has been coaching, you know, you go back to uh, uh, 84, and every year since then, the man's made the NCAA tournament, which is an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable run. You know, you're talking about 34 years um, or, or, you know, whatever the number is, 33 of, of consecutive NCAA tournament bits, which is which is really tremendous. Um, so, yeah, so they'll absolutely make the tournament. You know, if ACC, I think, you know, um, you're looking at, I would say, maybe a third-place finish, right? Because you just have teams that, you know, are going to be there. You know, Virginia's going to be there. You know, Carolina, um, that system just seems to be easier to come in and play and, and, and get results during the regular season. So, you know, I'd say there, I mean, obviously your ceiling is winning the ACC, you know, in the NCAA tournament, it's probably more helpful to think about range of outcomes than anything. You know, I think there's too much talent, you know, to have to, to worry too much about a first round upset. You know, I think they'll probably get through the second round. But again, you know, you would have said the same of, you know, 2010, you know, Kansas, that team's definitely making it to the final four. And then you get Ali Perukmaneshed in the, in the second round of the tournament, you know, and not necessarily due to any deep flaw of that Kansas team, but that's just what happens in a random environment. So, you know, your floor on that team, I think the floor is probably a sweet 16 team. Realistic, obviously, you know, there's 10% chance you draw goes wrong. You lose in the, in the, in the, in the round of 32, we saw it in 2017. You know, they're probably, um, you know, the ceiling of the team, obviously everything goes right. You win the national championship. There's enough talent there. There's, they're one of, you know, eight, nine, 10 teams that you could say that about. Um, 
But, uh, you know, it has a feel kind of like last year, you know, an elite eight-ish team, you know, things go right. Maybe you hit the final four um, would, would be my prediction. So, you know, if I had to, you know, wager everything on it, I think they're, you know, an elite eight team like last year. Yeah, I think last year the roles were defined a lot earlier on. It was just how they were going to stop anyone on defense. Because, I mean, people forget, like, the first couple of ACC games was wild. It was like Florida State and Boston College, and each team was, like, scoring 100. It was just running up and down. And obviously things didn't end up like that. Obviously zone was played. So I would say this team, there's just a lot more unknown period. But here's my bold statements, because I think anything – finite that anybody predicts is just ridiculous no one knows i think they are going to be not bad obviously not bad but not as good as many predict on offense i think there are definite weaknesses with the inability to consistently hit from outside and i mean just if they start knocking down free throws that's something i'll feel better about improving throughout the season but i think they will be much better on defense than many are predicting. I think this team is a lot more cohesive. Again, communication. I think they are a lot more willing to just do whatever, play wherever. I think Coach K, if he can really coach along with that, and again, not box guys into specific roles, like too often happened, in my opinion, last season, I think it's going to be very interesting because it's just opposite of what many are thinking. Again, I will say much better on defense, not much worse on offense. Just I think they're going to have some issues on offense. But I think it's going to be a fun team. I think the, I think this group likes each other. That that may even be a bold take because I don't I, – who knows. But I think it's going to be fun to watch and play. If nothing else – I mean, the versatility and just the fact they're all wings, they're just going to sprint up and down the floor. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. The true test will, as always, come when things are slowed down. And it will be slowed down. And playing Virginia twice in the ACC, that's a bummer. Um, I mean, it's great for, I guess, casual fans, unless you just don't want to ever watch Virginia. But, uh, yeah, playing them twice, and they play, playing a lot playing a lot of rough, rough teams, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get them battle-tested, I'll say that. So, uh, but I'm not going to make, uh, do I have to make an NCAA prediction? Did you make an NCAA prediction? Where- you gave your range of, range of outcomes. So, you know, I, again, it's, it's, we'll see, you know, obviously I think we all agree ceiling, everything goes right. It's, 32 get, to one. What's that? Range of outcomes. So second round to winning. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I think it's unlikely that, uh, you know, the, the floor of that team is 37, but I would put that at like the fifth centile like it's pretty far along the way you know i'd say the sweet spot is the sweet 16 to the lead eight i think it's the second weekend team um you know that you're just going to run into some issues there's going to be a, a matchup challenge uh you know in one of those rounds uh with something that's just not going right for the team um you know maybe there's just not enough depth at the five you can't keep teams off the offensive glass because that is just one thing that will absolutely kill you um you know is not being able to keep teams off the offensive glass um so um, you know, we'll see, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, like I said, if, if you absolutely force me to pick, I think, you know, it's a team that has enough talent that you make an elite eight run. And then, um, you know, that's, you know, not, not too dissimilar from last year, but you know, wide range of outcomes and it's going to change during the season. You know, you talk about that 2010 championship team, you know, on January 30 of that year, that team was absolutely another sweet 16 casualty classic Duke, you know, performs in February camp perform in March team. 
and you know change here or there Zubek goes into the lineup and you go from getting you know massacred by Georgetown in front of the president um, to winning the national championship going through Houston beating Baylor in Houston uh, in the elite eight and uh, you know beating Big East champ West Virginia soundly in the final four uh, and then going to the national championship game the best NBA player on that team is on the other side and you, you come out of that game uh, a winner. So, um, you know, so it just changes during the season. It's, it's, a, it's a journey. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. And with Duke, you always have to worry about health, you know, cause, uh, Duke always has the Kathy Bates thing going on with its trainer. So there's always some foot injuries here or there. So we'll see. I'll say if Duke is much better on defense than I than many are thinking, then that is something that would make me a lot more confident going into the tournament than uh, I would if they do succumb to the weaknesses of possible rebounding, of just young guys not being able to communicate um, well and – so, so I said initially hybrid of 2014-16. That would be a bad sign. That would be a very bad sign, um, and especially on defense. But uh, you know what? I'll, I'm just gonna I'll, I'll go middle ground, easy, Sweet 16. But no doubt they have the ability to do much more. Yep, and you know that's one of the things you always have to remember going into a season is uh, you know people who are Duke fans just it's it's, it's a it's a it's not a bad life, man. You know I would say. Challenge when you wake up on a Saturday morning as a Duke fan is which championship shirt do I wear? You know, not a lot of fan bases, you know, have that luxury. Um, even even really really good programs. Um, so you know, to to be able to root for a uh, program to follow a program that is you know continually in the national championship hunt year after year um, is something that hopefully Duke fans enjoy uh, and don't get too caught up in the season any losses because it doesn't last. You know, you can wind up in the wilderness. It's 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 not that long of a path to Indiana. And I think, you know, Duke has some advantages, you know, along with the University of North Carolina um, that that help insulate them a little bit from the Indiana and the UCLA, um, you know, voyages. But, um, you know, it's it's not promised to anyone. So enjoy it while it lasts. We should have an in-depth discussion about what, what constitutes a blue blood because that's always fun. All right. No, I, I, that was a joke. No. All right. Um, I, I, will, I will say the last thing. Uh, when Duke plays Kentucky, it'll be ironic to see Tyler Harrow. Um, he is the guy that uh, the media would just love to be on Duke. He's he's the guy who will pe- who people will find annoying because he's confident and he shoots well and he's white. And so everyone will be just shocked that he doesn't play on Duke. He will be on Kentucky, so it'll be interesting to see Duke going against a player like that. So it should be fun. Duke, Kentucky, Kentucky. I think they are going in strong. I'd be surprised if Duke won, but hey, you never know. So, for Adam Comero and Ray Holman, this has been Duke Basketball Corner, and we will be back before Duke heads to Maui. I think at least I will be back, hopefully with Ray, and look forward to watching Duke this season. Thanks so much for listening to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. You can find it on iTunes at Comoros Corner. Subscribe, rate, review, do what you do. You can find me on Twitter at CC underscore Duke Games, and I will be talking to you soon.